Zito from seventh to first in the final event. You are a champion. And Oleksiak has done it! The girl from the six has got six Olympic medals. The substitute for Canada just about gets it through. It's a glory gold for Canada. Kathy Lifting goes up to Graham, takes the lead, looks a winner, draws away from Graham and Mary. This is a famous victory, a magnificent performance. It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming your way today for another athlete interview in a brand new sport. Always a good day when we can bring you an athlete from a sport we've never covered on the show before, particularly if that sport is handball. We are finally, finally bringing you an athlete from the great sport of handball. You know I love it. Every Olympics, it's one of the sports that I'm always glued to and so pumped and excited to bring you an athlete from handball. We are speaking to Team Canada member Haven Wong, current member on the Canadian national team, represented Canada at the 2019 Pan Am Games. And this is a fantastic chat with Haven, learning about her journey in the sport, how she got involved in it, in a sport that obviously isn't that big in Canada compared to some other countries in the world we find out about the training involved the rules of the sport the uniqueness of the card system there's a card that's worse than a red card in handball but you didn't know that you're going to learn about in this interview a video game a handball video game maybe you want to play it where you're going to learn about it in this interview and also just where the sport is at in canada and how far or how close the country is to returning to the olympics in handball canada has only ever been at the olympics in 1976 when they hosted it of course in montreal in both the men's and women's so we're going to learn a little bit about whether or not that's something that is a possibility maybe in the next couple of olympics can canada return and if not how far away that will be and just where the sport is at. Obviously, it's one of these sports with not a lot of coverage in a country. So there's a cycle in terms of exposure, funding, everything along those lines that a lot of these sports have to go through. And Haven goes into some great detail here about just that whole cycle about how you need the money to perform on the world stage, but to perform on the world stage, you need the money. So it's kind of a, it's a, it's a cycle there where you need the results to get the money and all that kind of stuff. So Haven goes into some great details here and a very fascinating story about the Pan Am games and money involved in that too, because it's something that I had never heard of in terms of a Pan Am games at least. And it's very unique. And I think you're going to uh, get a bit of a kick out of that one. So a lot to get out of this interview. If you love handball, you're going to love it. If you don't know anything about handball, you're going to love it because you're going to learn a lot. And I'm going to shut up right now and go to that interview because it's a great one to listen to today. Here is our chat with Canadian handballer Haven Wong. People listen to this show during our Olympic coverage, you would know that I'm a very big fan of the sport of handball. It is an amazing sport that I feel more people outside of Europe in particular need to love and get involved in. And we have never had anyone on this show to talk about handball before until now. We have a member from Team Canada. She represented her country at the Pan Am Games in 2019, among many other tournaments. And I am so excited to learn not only about her career, but the sport of handball in general. Please welcome to Off the Podium, the one, the only, Haven Wong. Haven, first of all, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's, it's exciting times because handball 
is amazing. Can we just start off the interview with stating the obvious that handball is an incredible sport that more people need to to love, right? That that's that's the crux of this interview right now today, Haven. Yeah, I have to agree, especially in Canada. Like it's weird talking to you and you already know what it is because here <laughs> not a whole lot of people even know what it is. So I can't imagine you ever thought you would be talking about handball to an Australian. Uh, basically about a sport where you probably spend most of your time trying to explain what on earth it is. Because, th- I mean, this is a, a sport which really outside of Europe doesn't get a lot of traction, a lot of attention. Um, I-, I would love to know uh, how you got involved in the sport because this is a sport that I know growing up, we played a little bit in high school. I think there was like maybe one year in like grade nine, they were like, hey, European handball, let's give it a go for a week. But uh, how, how do you and most Canadians get involved in the sport who do play it? So we do have handball like across some of the provinces here. Um, it's bigger in Alberta and Quebec. Um, so in those two, like in Quebec, I would say it's actually the biggest because they do have like a pretty good um, club system going there. In Alberta, we have it in our high school like sports. So that's how I started playing was, um, I just got into grade 10 and grade 10 for us is high school. Um, and they were offering a sport and back then I just played every sport that I could. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to play this one too. And then I kind of just had to learn what it was. And then I kind of just fell in love with it from there. So. Had you heard of it before you played it or was it a case of when you got to grade 10 and you saw it, you're like, Oh, this looks fun. I'll give it a go. No, I, I hadn't heard of it at all. Um, I'd never seen it before. I actually like in grade nine, I was just, I was moving from a smaller school to a really big high school here that we have. And I was just looking on their like athletics website to see what sports they had. And then I saw oh, team handball. I don't even know what that is. So I looked it up and then that's kind of how I figured out what it was. And then just started from scratch, just like everybody else does here um, when I went to tryouts. So, yeah. Because in Australia, I don't know how big it is in your part of the world. We have uh, Albert, what we call handball is like the four square handball where you kind of like are in the little boxes and you're sort of hitting a ball, basically, you know, like tennis with your hands essentially, which I mean, it's any kid in Australia, that's, you were always the recess champion of handball before you went back into classes uh, every single day. But is that something that is played often in Canada? And did, is that something that people refer to as handball versus, as I said before, some people call it European handball here in Australia? No, I think if I'm thinking of what you're thinking of, um, I think we call that Foursquare. So right. we play that at recess right. too. But um, when I, the people that have heard of handball think it's like the thing that you hit the ball against a wall. Ah, yeah. So I guess that's maybe more popular in America. I don't even, I don't even know what that handball is. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I do know what you're talking about. It is interesting when it's sort of a sport, which I mean, it's kind of obvious handball, what you're playing and everything, but how certain versions, I guess it's sort of in a way like a football soccer, like every country has its yeah. version of football uh, versus Everyone just usually universally refers to it as soccer when technically the only true form of football is football. Uh, but you apparently played football slash soccer a lot. So sort of were you, when you mentioned all the different sports you were playing, was sort of soccer your focus for a, for a large portion growing up before you ultimately made that switch to handball? Yeah, it was. Like I, my parents just put me into soccer like when I was really young and then I just continued playing and then went up to play more competitive levels Um with like a club. Uh, and then once I got into junior high school, which here is grade seven to nine, um, then the schools offer more sports. So that's kind of when I started to play like 
volleyball, basketball, badminton, track and field, all that, all those kind of things. Um, and then I continued to do those school sports as well, but soccer was definitely my number one priority since I played it outside of school. And then I ended up kind of having to make a choice between soccer and handball near the end of high school when both of them were getting pretty competitive. Now, now obviously all those sports that you're mentioning there, Haven, all Olympic sports, did, did you have sort of an ambition growing up for an Olympic Games representing Canada one day? Uh, I always wanted, like, I thought I was going to go somewhere with soccer. I really thought, like, my goal really was to play somewhere in university. I wanted to go to the States um, when I was in high school for soccer. But then, you know, handball kind of came along and I was getting opportunities there. So I, that's when I had to make that decision. But definitely, like, in the other sports I played, I mean, in school we played them. But, I, like, I never had ambition to get anywhere nationally with any of those other sports except for soccer, really. So. When it came to that switch, I mean, let's take you to that first time you played handball. What did you say love about it when you first played it? And was it a tricky transition, say, being so used to using your feet all the time to all of a sudden having to use your hands all the time? I found um, what I really loved about it was that it was combining so many skills that I've learned in other sports. So you have dribbling you have like one-on-one moves um it's very technical you get to shoot i love that there's like instead of soccer where you might have like you know the scores like two nothing in handball you have like each team scoring like 20 plus goals um so that was really fun for me um my when it comes to soccer because we did so much stuff with our feet i found that actually it helped me in handball with the footwork because here, like a lot of people make the transition from playing basketball or like just being a multi-sport athlete to handball. And because the steps are different, it sometimes messes people up. Um, but I thought that I actually had an advantage because I, I was pretty good, like with my feet. So, um, like learning those steps and things. And I always just really liked technical training. So like learning the technique and stuff of handball was fun for me. Which, because you pretty much can't use your feet at all in handball, right? Like if you get the ball no. thrown at your feet, you can sort of deflect it, but it's essentially the complete opposite of what you were being used to in soccer where you can't use your hands at all. Now you can't yeah. use your feet at all, right? <laughs> exactly. Which it's fascinating to think that there is a sport where, because I mean, so many different sports generally you can use your feet and all that kind of stuff, but it's kind of the complete opposite with it. When, when you start playing then I mean what are the positions like in handball in terms of do you automatically fit into a place you've got to find where you you are suited in the sport and kind of can you explain sort of what your general position is in in a in the a squad whenever you're on a squad for handball yeah like I think um when we joined and I mean it was myself and a lot of my other friends that kind of were just athletes and just wanted to pick up a new sport and like one of the girls that joined with me at the same time, we've been playing ever since her name is Katya. Um, and we're still now playing on the national team together. So we kind of started at the same time and are still going. Um, but yeah, I guess back then they kind of just looked at, okay, who's really tall, who's athletic. Um, we're going to make those the backs. Anybody that was pretty solid or like scrappy was pivot or center. Um, people that were fast were wings. So I started out as a back um, and then there was a game where we were playing in high school and just nobody could finish from wing, but there was just a huge opportunity to shoot from wing that day for some reason, like the defense was kind of giving that up. Um, so then my coach was just like cycling people through wing to seeing who could score. And then I went to wing and I scored a bunch of goals. And then from that day on, I was a wing. So now I'm a, a left wing and I don't know, I guess 
as you play, like a lot of people end up switching their positions because you kind of just get thrown in like wherever they think from like first glance that you'd be good at. So, yeah. And so there are six players on a court, uh, or seven, including a goalie. And with those six on the court, you're talking about the wings and the back. So generally the wings sort of considered the forwards, like say a striker in soccer. Are you the ones who are sort of tasked with scoring or are there kind of other more sort of a general forward slash striker position that, uh, you, you know, they're the key scorer basically in a game of handball? Yeah, I don't know if you would be able to compare it so much. Like, I think it's maybe more comparable to basketball because like a wing, I guess, in soccer, like an outside or a wing in soccer would be similar to like a wing in handball. Like you're on the outside of the court. That's why you're a wing. But I think more like like the point guard is like your center back, right? So they're making the plays. They're kind of like seeing what's going on the best. They have the best view of the court from the middle. Um, but I think, you know, now that I've played like wing – the wing's job is to get down the court as fast as possible. And when you get the ball, you have to score. So um, it's not so much me creating opportunities. I mean, it's the, the opportunities are there, but um, when you get it, your job is to score. So, Which yeah. this is the, the beauty of handball is the speed of it because it does always seem that as soon as, say, a goal is scored, it's just you just grab the ball straight away, get it up the other end, shoot score essentially that way it's just it's so fast it's so quick pace because you've also you've you've only allowed to have to hold the ball for a certain amount of time right and you can only take a certain amount of steps is that is that correct yeah three seconds with the ball three steps with the ball wow unless you're dribbling that that quick wow geez that's that's insane and is it like a shot clock sort of like basketball as well like that you've got to get to shoot it off as well uh no so there's a passive rule which actually i think just changed from uh, so it's referee's discretion. They can call passive if the um, attacking team is not actively going to the net. Like if they're not pursuing a chance to score, they're kind of holding on to the ball. It's mm-hmm. referee's discretion to call passive. And then once they call passive, you have the new rules now that you have four passes in order to, to shoot or it's a turnover. Right. So there's, the elements there that it sounds like, so it's kind of like let's throw a bit of basketball on there, throw a bit of volleyball there in terms of how many sort of pass you have, netball in terms of you can only have a certain amount of steps or you certainly had a certain amount of time. I mean, there's all these different elements to it there, which obviously, you know, makes a lot of sense when, you, when you're watching and obviously playing. When it comes to the, the circle situation where the goals are and the goalies, do you have to be inside, outside? Like, isn't it generally you got to like jump sort of before you put a foot into it or something along those lines before you score? Yeah. So I don't know. Netball, I guess like you guys have netball there. We don't really have netball. No, here. I know. I, I realize that. That's for a lot of Canadians. No. They go netball. That's that weird thing that uh, people down South play. Yes. I realize that. <laughs> yeah. But I know what it is. Cause I, I studied to be a phys ed teacher, so <laughs> I know what it is, but it's almost like, I don't know if people know what chuke ball is. Like you have a crease, so it's a little bit different, but you can't step into the crease at all. If you're uh, a court player. And then if you're a goalie, you're re- you, you're allowed to touch the ball in the crease. Um, and then if a goalie comes out of the crease, then they can't, they, they act as a court player. So you have to jump in and then you can, if you throw the ball before you land in the crease, then it's good to go. Because that's where you get those spectacular plays where you see them sort of like jumping up with the ball in hand, which, which again, I, I love sports where you have a zone like that. Because I grew up playing field hockey and obviously you can only score a goal when you're in the circle in field hockey. So it's kind of like yeah. the opposite for handball where you've got to score it out of the 
circle essentially which which is fascinating which i can imagine in that training aspect then it's obviously a very physically demanding sport i mean it's very aerial sport too so you were doing a lot of training that some basketballers would be doing with that jumping aspect and and but then mixing it say with what you were doing in in soccer i can imagine it's a diverse range of training that you're having to do physically yeah i would say it's pretty similar to basketball like there's a lot of jumping a lot of like agility movements um explosiveness that kind of thing um and then as well because it's a full contact sport like i would say that's the biggest difference is basketball isn't really contact um but handball's full contact so there's also a lot of like you have to be strong as well because you're you're going to stop people on defense as well so so in terms of that full contact though like are we talking hockey here like can you just full on slam someone down uh, like i mean what, sort of what, what's the level of contact surely there's got to be a limit there where you can't just walk up to like hey you punch him in the face and then move on to score a goal right yeah so you can hit we call it hitting uh, but you can hit somebody where, where you're making contact with them when you're when you're basically in front of them so you know the front of their body you're allowed to um, try to go to stop them by touching them um, but as soon as they're past you, you kind of have to let go. So there's like, if there's any dangerous plays, like you're holding somebody's arm, um, it, when somebody's in the air, like especially wingers, because wingers are the ones that usually jump into the crease uh, or the six meter, um, you can't touch them in the air kind of thing because it, it becomes dangerous again. Um, anything that's not like with the intention to stop. So if you make any contact to the face, it's a two minute penalty. Um, if you obviously like are pulling jerseys or you're punching somebody or slapping them or whatever, like anything that's not intentionally to, you know, play defense, uh, would be a two minute penalty. So, yeah. Which must be then fascinating sometimes the interpretation of it, because any sport, you know, where you've obviously got these clear rules about physical contact on paper, sounds easy, but of course in a game, things certainly, uh, change up differently, which is it a sport which you get fights or you know gets very aggressive or sort of tempers flare a lot because you might sort of have those loose interpretations of that physicality um actually no and i think part of the reason like so just comparing this to soccer like i found when you're watching soccer the players can complain about calls more because you know you have your yellow card and you have your red card and there's not really anything in between but in handball you can get a two minute penalty and you can get three two minutes before it becomes a red card um, and then, of course, you can get a direct red card if you do something bad enough or a direct blue card, which is even worse than a red. Um, wow. But because there's like a low tolerance for that kind of thing, like if I, for example, got a two minute penalty and then I started to argue with the ref, the ref would just give me another two minute penalty. So there's not as much like fighting or arguing. But if you did, say, get into a fight like on purpose, like if I just went and punched somebody, then I would just immediately get a blue card. So I, th- I don't think it's as. You know, it's not like in hockey where, okay, like we're, we're stopping the game because we're going to let these two guys go at it with each other. Um, there's not really any tolerance for that. So, I, I love the idea of a blue card. It's worse than So is that just full on, like as you said, you, you punch someone, like you do something so bad and then you ejected from the game at that point, basically. Yeah, like red and a blue, you'd be ejected from the game. Um, I don't want to like get too technical here because I feel like the rules are a little bit arbitrary, but... My interpretation is that if it's like a, a play where it's dangerous, but your intention was not necessarily to hurt the person, but it's bad enough, then it would be maybe a red. And then if you're like going out of your way to, to hurt somebody, then it would be like a blue. And, and there would be suspensions potentially with both, definitely for a blue card. There'd be a suspension for more than just that game. 
And then is it like soccer in that you are a player down for the rest of the match or is it like hockey where you can replace that player? So you'd be down for two minutes Mm -hmm. um, if a person got a red or a blue and then another player could come and replace them. Um, But then again, like, of course, every call is different, right? So if it was like, if they got a red card because they had two, two minutes and they already had one before, then they'd have to be off for four minutes. So it's very hard to explain. It's like, so when we do referee courses and stuff, it's like every single interpretation is so different and every single situation that you come across is like you have to really analyze everything so yeah it does sound cool and when i say replace someone in hockey of course i mean if a player gets ejected you can obviously put them on the ice not if they've got a two-minute penalty people know what i mean i know yeah. what i mean in my head yeah. they're having that <laughs> which i mean the sort of you mentioned similar to basketball in the training aspect so i mean obviously very agile the jumping side of things as well i mean so when you're sort of training for it obviously is it more I can imagine being on the court each week is the most important thing, but in the gym, is it, is it cardio based to sort of, you know, making sure that you're out there? I mean, what sort of strength training do you do for, for a handball player? Cause obviously you've got to be very strong physically throwing, throwing the arm. So is it sort of more upper body based a lot of the time on the strength work? Um, so at this current moment, our training program has three like strength workouts and then three, runs so different varying different runs so uh most of them are interval training so because i mean i guess that makes sense because really you're running 40 meters up the court and then you know you do your offense or whatever and you're sprinting back and it's it's more like stop and go rather than like in soccer where you're consistently running um for like strength training there's a lot of um like explosive stuff like we do right now we're doing a little bit like lower reps but explosive movements um just basic, like more, more compound exercises, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's like a good mix, I would say. And I, with the upper body thing, I mean, a lot of handball players, especially for us in Canada, when we haven't been playing since we were like four or five years old, um, shoulder injuries are really prevalent. Uh, so we do, there's a lot of like, uh, shoulder rehab stuff, like just making sure that we're like really warm beforehand resistance band exercise and stuff like that just added in in terms of the ball are we talking about similar to say a, a volleyball a basketball I mean, how, what would be the closest you could describe a, a hand ball to say another sport so it's a size two so if you think about like a soccer ball is a size five mm-hmm. um it, it's almost like those you know those like little soccer balls that you could just buy and you kind of just play around with them as a kid it's like the same yep. size as that so right yeah like i can comfortably fit it in my hand and then the men's ball is a size three right so okay and and i can imagine i mean any ball if you get pelted one in the face it's generally going to hurt right this isn't just one of those yeah. soft sort of keep ones that kind of go go along that way too which in terms of like getting that equipment for the sport in Canada, I mean, a sport which is, you know, obviously not up there with, say, a hockey or a soccer in terms of that sort of stuff. Is it a case of a lot of importing, you having to sort of get supplies from the Europe, or does Canada sort of have a, a handball store that all the players kind of rely on? Yeah, like we've, I mean, so I've been involved in the sport for about 10 years and things have changed and things have gotten um, more popular as time has gone on. So, right now we do have like one guy here that is like a distributor for Hummel. So he can get, you know, some handball things in, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he just orders them in from Europe and then he just distributes them here. 
Um, we have like one sports store here in Edmonton that that just imports stuff and sells like handballs there. Um, and then for like us as individual players, like if we wanted like say a nicer handball or if we wanted like shoes specifically made for handball, um, then we can go online, you know, and just order from a European website like ourselves. Sometimes, I mean, where we play like in Alberta, um, I mean, it's kind of been less lately because of COVID, but before COVID we would travel a lot to Europe. So if the players were going, then oftentimes we would just say, Oh, can you pick this up for me? Can you buy us like stick them or can you get me this ball or whatever? Um, because it's a lot cheaper to just get it when you're there rather than pay all this extra money to get it shipped here. So I I found when I lived in Canada, I did a few stories on as an Australian, I was like, oh, Australian football, cricket, you know, they obviously play it in Canada, but not to the extent that clearly we play here. But a lot of what you find when you have these sports, which are much bigger in the other parts of the world is equipment. But then also you got to look at playing fields and playing areas. Uh, You know, when it comes to a, a handball arena or a handball playing court in Canada, is it generally a case of you've just got to use what they do for basketball, just got to use a gym? I mean, sort of how do you work around that? And are there any handball designated facilities at all in the country yeah so we like i mean it's played in high school so they play in like normal gym uh lots lots of the schools have handball lines now but that's um relatively new like if a school's redoing their gym floor they usually now they're adding handball lines um and there's sometimes like phys ed classes will do a unit of handball so they, they have those lines Um, But none of the courts are regulation because a normal court is 40 meters by 20 meters. And most of the gyms aren't that big for the length. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a couple like city rec centers here that we've been able to get into. But the problem with handball is that um, the sport uses stickum, which is like the sticky stuff that you put on your hand so that you can hold the ball better, shoot better, you know, do trick shots, that kind of stuff. Um, and so a lot of the gyms don't like that because we don't have a way to really like clean it off. That's efficient and, um, easy to do. So like in Europe, if you go lots of the, uh, gyms that they have, have a handball court or it's a handball hall or whatever, and they'll like have a machine, almost like a Zamboni that goes and cleans the floor. But obviously we have nothing here like that. So there's really like one or two gyms that we can use, um, stick them in for like actual handball. And then just recently um, somebody here opened up like an actual handball facility where they bought a warehouse and put um, like a court in and and there's like actual handball lines and it's regulation size and stuff. So that's, we're pretty lucky to have that. Yeah. So that's just in, in Edmonton and Alberta, but in Quebec, there is a little bit more, like more of their gyms will allow stick them and they're like a little bit bigger where they have the regulation size and stuff. So it kind of depends where you are. Cause it it's, so important for a sport to grow in a country is to have access to proper equipment, proper regulation, playing fields. I mean, we've seen that a lot. Um, we had our first curlers for Australia in the Beijing Olympics, and most people think, oh, curling, you can just, you know, do that on any ice, right? Well, of course not. Uh, you, you know, yeah. a regulation <laughs> curling rink is going to help you tenfold, so there's a big push in Australia to get our first regulation curling rink. So I can imagine that having a facility like that where you can use the stickum, you've got the right lines, you're not always having to fight it over with volleyball players or basketball players or just general gym use. I mean, that's obviously huge for the sport in Canada. Yeah. It is. So, I mean, it didn't open that long ago. It was only, it's only been open for a few months. So we'll see, especially now that we're kind of coming out of COVID and trying to rebuild. Um, 
but hopefully it'll make a big difference. Like I know in Quebec anyways, like when they have those facilities, it's definitely a lot easier for them to do that. So. Cause it was it a lot yeah. of traveling to Europe. I mean, do, is there, are there facilities in the States which say some Canadian players will go to rather than having to travel all the way to Europe? Or is it a case of you've got to go to Europe? America doesn't really have the facilities either. No, I think, I think they do like, they're probably pretty similar to us in the States. And I think it depends on which state you're in too. Like they do have more teams there, um, but they're obviously a lot bigger. Um, so we've gone down there to play like as a, the way that our club kind of worked was we were just like the provincial team here. So we would, as a team travel to Europe more so to get competition, like to play in tournaments, to play other teams. Um, because here, like really there was not a whole ton of people that you get to play against. So in order to get better, we do have to go to Europe to play those people that have the experience. Um, in the States, I would say they're kind of in a similar position where, you know, they don't have people at such a high caliber that they can, you know, play as um, a national team for, or a state team or whatever and get that much better without traveling to where the players are experienced. So that's mo- mostly the reason why we go there. Um, and I mean, like everybody, pl- it's like playing hockey here in Canada. Like mm-hmm. everybody plays handball there. Everyone knows what it is. So, Which I was going yeah. to use that comparison. I, I can imagine you have a lot of expats coming over from Europe or these countries where it's big playing because in Australia, uh, I mean, go to a hockey rink with, it's very limited in Australia, but generally you're always going to find a bunch of Canadians, Americans, you know, <laughs> Finns on a, on a team here, no different to when I was in Canada and I was doing stories on cricket and Australian football, a bunch of Australians, funnily enough, were over there playing it. So do you find that you'll get a lot of people coming from European countries where handball is a big deal looking up, Hey, where's my local handball club and wanting to get involved? Yeah, actually, this is like, I guess, just a lucky question because I actually run my own handball club here in Edmonton. Um, so I get to see those people that are emailing because, you know, they just Google, okay, handball in Edmonton and they just, our, our club just comes up. Um, so when they do that, like we've had players from like Spain, we've had players from like a bunch from Germany, um, uh, actually a few from South America as well have come. And then, you know, we always get a couple like just random like one-offs like I think we've had a girl from Croatia stuff like that so they email us a lot I actually get a lot of emails of people asking to come here like wanting us to help them come here if that makes sense but I don't think they really realize that like none of us get paid we all just pay our own way to play and everything so I'm like okay well we can't really like get you get you here pardon me but if you come here then you can play with us so um there's a there's a decent amount for sure um yeah, not a ton, but a decent amount. So that progression for you then, Hayden, when you're playing in high school, you decide, okay, this is this is for me. Let's let's focus on this. From that point on, you sort of touch on club based play. Is there some sort of local league that you play in, and then do you move on to a provincial tournament, and then that eventually leads to a call up on on the national side? Like, t- take us through that progression where you go from that pick up the ball one day to ultimately representing your country. Yeah. So they're changing the kind of process right now, just from after COVID. But when I first started, um, essentially what would happen is the provincial federation would go to, you know, they, they would basically be running everything anyway. So they're providing all the referees. Um, they're helping the schools run tournaments and the league and all that stuff. So, um, it's a small community. So people will talk and people get to see the team. So they, look at the high school teams. They look at the players. They'll look at, you know, the top players on each high school team and invite them to a provincial camp. 
um, which is basically the provincial tryouts. And then from there, um, you know, you get however many athletes you get. I know that like some of my friends that started a couple of years before me, it was basically like, if you showed up, you made the team. Um, by the time I started, it was, we had like a good chunk of girls. There's probably 40 girls that came from high school to come try out for the provincial team. Um, so from there we made the team, I think there was two teams at the time. And then in that program is travel. So our first trips were Denmark and then Iceland. So wow. we would basically just do a bunch of training camps, go to Denmark as a team. Like we were completely shell-shocked because obviously you're playing against these Europeans that have been playing forever. Um, and then come back, train more, go to Iceland, play a bunch more teams. Um, and then I kind of just got hooked from that. And then eventually um, our Canadian Federation is in communication with the provincial federations and basically just asks, I will say like our Canadian Federation could probably do better. We don't have like the most structured thing that it's a little bit corrupt, but um, they would just say, okay, we need so many players for this next tournament that's coming up. Who do you know? That's kind of like, you know, doing well in Alberta right now, send us their names and we'll see if they want to go. So my first national team trip um, was to Puerto Rico for the IHF trophy tournament. And like I met all my teammates when we got there, there was like five of us from Alberta and the rest of the team was from Quebec. We all just showed up. My coach was from Quebec, didn't speak a lick of English. Um, so we had a, our other coach spoke a little English. So it was just kind of like thrown together, just do as best you can with the resources you have. And again, we're paying our own way. Like there's nothing that we got for free. So that's kind of how we started. And then, you know, things have progressed since then. So. That's insane because, I mean, yeah. any team sport, I'm assuming you need to sort of have a bit of camaraderie, chemistry, maybe get to know each other, training camp in Canada before going off, sort of getting off the plane and going, hi, I'm on Team Canada with you. We're playing tomorrow. We don't really speak yep. a lot of English. <laughs> that must be – how do you overcome that when it comes to playing a game on the court? Um, it was definitely a hard transition a few times. So, I mean, like, again, my coach didn't really speak any English some of the players also didn't speak any English. So it was, it's pretty hard to like develop that chemistry. Like I said, like we really just did as good as we could. Um, and, you know, you get to know your teammates a little bit as it goes on. And as you get more involved in the program, you know, you might see some of your teammates that you played with in one tournament at the next tournament, if you kind of stick with it. But again, we're not like training together at all in the meantime. Right. So because it's so expensive and because Canada is so large, it's not like we could just drive over. You know, like yeah. for me to drive to Quebec would like take a, a whole day. So um, we don't get that. But since then, we've had some people that have kind of put more into the program. Like our current national team coach has put a lot more into the program to actually make it a program, not just like a, okay, who can show up to this tournament? Let's pool a group of people together. Um, so now it's more consistent. We have some training camps, you know, like I, I'm friends with my teammates from Quebec now. Um, we all know each other kind of thing. And so it's growing in that sense. And I'm hoping that it continues to do that. It's just, like I said, like the, the Federation definitely needs some work and it's, it's hard to do that with no funding and no money as well. So I, I understand that from their perspective too. It's that vicious cycle, isn't it? Always with any sport, we've had a lot of conversation. I mean, I remember we had uh, a couple of years back, Nathaniel Maher, Nordic combined athlete, and he talked a lot about that cycle of 
you know, you need the money to compete on the world stage, but to get that money, you need to compete on the world stage to get results. So it's kind of like just this vicious cycle where you sort of need that coming along with that. That that moment, though, when you go to that tournament, you're representing your country for the first time, even though it's a bit of a shambles. I mean, it's obviously a pretty proud moment, though, Haven, to turn around and be like, well, hey, look at this. I picked this sport up in grade 10, and now here I am wearing the maple leaf on my jersey and representing my country. Yeah, definitely. Like just the first time I'll never forget, like the first time that we, you know, before the game we're standing and we're like listening to the national anthem, you just like have goosebumps. Like it's just, you can't explain it, I guess. Yeah. Which when you make the national team, where does the progression go for where you want to take the sport in the country? Because obviously Canada has been at the Olympics in handball when Canada hosted the games in 76. But I mean, do most handball players in the country just have that long-term goal of, I want to be part of a team that can help Canada qualify for an Olympics. Or is it a case of this is maybe too far away in my career, focus on the Pan Pan Ams or the regional tournament. How does that sort of look for you when you start representing Canada of where you ultimately want to end up representing Canada, if that makes sense? Yeah. So like when, when I started, I didn't even really know like what the qualification processes were for anything. So um, for us in our sport, um, it used to be like a Pan Am championships was the qualifier for world championships. And then Pan Am games is the, is the qualifier for the Olympics. So now there's no Pan Am championships It's they're splitting it. So it's, it's Norca now. So we don't have to play against everybody in America. We just play against, uh, the North and the central America. Um, but I guess as I went on and kind of understood the process more and got more involved with handball and saw that I wanted to really like dive into it and like see how far I could go, see like what I could do. Um, a lot of Canadians, like if they really want to like get better, will move to Europe and, and try to take their hand at like playing professionally. So sometimes that takes a few years. We've had a few people that have been successful at that. Um, and then, Sometimes people go for a few years, they come back and again, like they're more experienced and everything. Um, but as you know, my current coach, um, took over the program, she really did like make it a program as like, okay, here's the first or the first tryout, I should say, where it's a training camp with everybody that wanted to come from there, there was cuts. And then we had another, um, training camp together. We went on a tour to France as like a, a preparation for our qualifier against the States. So, with her philosophy, um, it made it more possible. I would say like at this present moment and in the last cycle, when we made the 2019, uh, Pan Am games, the goal was definitely to get to the Pan Am games. And so once we accomplished that, we thought, okay, now we're setting a new goal. And our goal was to, to medal at the Pan Am games. Um, and I think like if we continue in that progression, eventually we will get to that point where maybe we are contenders for, um, making it to the Olympics, but, um, it's definitely going to take a while and it's very, very hard to do without resources because you look at, you know, somebody like Brazil, who's consistently um, qualifying for the Olympics, you know, a few, a couple years ago, they won the world championships. They have those players that are getting named like top player in the world, top defensive player. um, And they're all playing in Europe professionally. So it's very hard to compete with that when, you know, the rest of us are here paying our own way, having our own careers, being students, doing all this other stuff at the same time. Um, and you just also wonder, like, what kind of athletes are there in Canada that aren't even playing handball or don't even know what it is that could be pushing our, our uh, country to, to make that leap to the Olympics. So, yeah. I think one thing we find on this show 
you know, we love a good story of, say, a country qualifying for an Olympics in a sport where maybe you think, okay, like for Australia, like Winter Olympics, when, you know, we're not a very big winter country. So whenever we have a, you know, a good winter athlete, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. And there's a lot of that, obviously, in, in Canada too on the, on the summer side of things. But the team aspect, the team sports, these are the ones where it's a lot trickier to obviously go through. Australia has qualified for the Winter Olympics in ice hockey before. I think we hold the distinction still of having the highest defeats in the history of the Winter Olympics, but that's another story. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's possible, but it's sort of the more and more sport progresses, it's sort of trickier for that. But it's, it's sort of interesting to hear that regionally, though, for a sport that is widely considered a European sport, to have someone like Brazil, who are obviously pretty decent at it, uh, you know, some of these other countries outside of Europe that maybe gives a bit of hope, they sort of look towards it, that this is purely outside of a European perspective, countries can do well in this sport. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, even if you look at, it's a little bit different. Like, I think in South America, it's definitely bigger than in North America. Like, they do have more leagues. They do have, like, um, programs, bigger programs and schools and stuff. And, like, they, you know, they have decent handball down there where you can play competitively without having to, to move away. Um, whereas here it's definitely not, not like that. Um, but it is like, if you look at the United States, their men's team, which, I mean, I guess a lot of their team is, you know, people that have dual citizenship from Europe and, um, the States and they're coming back and and choosing to play for the United States. Uh, but they did just qualify for the world championships for the men. So that's also, I think good to look at. And same with thing, I think their junior women's team also just qualified, which is, Good for them considering they will have that spot in LA 2028. Yeah. Um, I hope they can build their program up for that because time t- because it really takes like that, it's not it? that exposure yeah. of the home Olympics. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what that might have done for handball in the in the 70s with Canada. I don't know if you're familiar with if there's a you know that's talked about in the handball uh, circles about you know 76 what that did for the sport. But I mean it's a bit of exposure because Australia's similar. We've only ever been at the Olympics in handball when we hosted it in Sydney. We'll have that obviously in Brisbane in 10 years time as well. So it's kind of it is an exposure that a home games can obviously bring right because you need to have a national team that's going to be competing at the Olympics. You get that spot guaranteed. Yeah. And I mean, I think um, IHF or the International Handball Federation does do a little bit to help them out. Like I know that they get um, a spot at the world championships, the previous one, maybe two championships before just as, you know, to get them some exposure, to get them playing more game, more international games, that kind of thing. So that definitely helps. But I mean, it's, it gets us a little bit closer as Canadians, but not too close, if that makes sense. So, yeah. So is that Olympic qualification still a case of the Pan Am? So like, is it you win the Pan Ams, you get a spot? I mean, so is that the only way that you can qualify for the Olympics is by winning the Pan Ams? Yeah. So at this current time, yes. Unless, um, unless say the host country won, then the second place would go. So uh, when the Olympics, like for Rio 2016, um, the previous games was the 2015 Pan Am games and it was in Canada. Uh, so we had a, a host spot in that games and um, Brazil won and Argentina was the runner up. So Argentina did get their spot in the 2016 Olympics. So, so, so realistically then 2028 Haven, uh, 2027 Pan Ams, you might want America to win those because you know, they're automatically going. If you can make the final and play the U S then boom, you're into the Olympics. So there you go. There's, there's a pathway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it makes it a little bit closer, 
I, I cannot see Brazil faltering that much though, because they've been so dominant since like, I remember my coach actually played on the, um, the Pan Am team. I think it was 1999 or something. And she said that they were in the finals with Brazil and they lost by one goal or something like that. So that was the last time that I heard of us being super, like really close to being Brazil, but I think they've just kind of gone up with funding and, you know, all their players being playing in professional leagues in Europe, like they're playing at the highest possible level they can. I don't know if like in the next couple years, they're going to falter off enough that it's a Canada US final. That'd be cool though. I'd like to see that. Never, never say never. That's what we say. (laughs) Which I mean, again, it's sort of going on that funding model. I can imagine the exposure to playing high level international games too. It's also that, you know, I'm sure you're always trying to do invitational games. Like, hey, you mentioned before, obviously traveling younger for that sort of thing. But is is it kind of a case of Team Canada are always trying to find an excuse to play Team USA in a series or, hey, let's go to Brazil? Because it's ultimately getting that international experience that helps progress the sport, progress the players so you can be exposed to that level of play that will then improve when it comes to a tournament such as the Pan Am Games. Yeah, like with, I think that's part, like that is the reason why we travel so much. And, you know, we used to mostly do that as an Alberta team here is go to Europe and play in Sweden, play in Denmark. Like I've gone many, many, many times uh, before, but as a national team, we did take a trip to France. We've gone to Iceland. Um, You know, we've tried to get those competitions in for sure. And then just as a team, you know, we've gone to play in the qualification against the States because actually we have to qualify against the States to get to the Pan Ams, um, which actually we have coming up here in November. So that's our next um, goal is to beat them to get into the Pan Am games. Um, Other than that, though, it's like it's very difficult because we want those games. But again, we pay everything out of our own pocket. We have zero funding. So, yeah. Is it? Do you do the whole, like, I'm just thinking cool runnings, you know, getting to the streets, singing songs, doing all weird ways. Like, do you have to always kind of come up with like unique fundraising models? Is there a team song? Like some people say, you know, you don't believe Canada has a handball team, things like that. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, we do our own, we try to get sponsorships as much as we can. Like we, it's, I don't know from like money wise, some people sponsor it's oftentimes like if a if a player you know kind of knows somebody that runs a business then their business might be wanting to sponsor um a lot of this happens in quebec because from here at this time there's only three of us from alberta the rest of the team is all from quebec so they're doing a little bit more there because you know it's more they you know they have more to offer where it comes to like okay that the qualification game is actually going to happen in quebec so there's more to offer when it comes to actually getting a sponsorship. Whereas here, um, like my myself and my teammates have gotten like a, a gym membership to sponsor. So we get a free gym membership. Um, but that's kind of like the extent of where we're at. Like I can go out and, you know, hand out my sponsorship package and try to get people to uh, donate to our team, whether it's like jerseys or, you know, some money or whatever. Um, and it, it has happened before, like definitely, you know, in our last um, cycle, we did have some help, um, but it's, it's really hard to do, especially when you're, you know, you're wanting to focus on your training and stuff. And I also have to focus on my job um, mm. just to make ends meet. And then I'm also trying to find all this extra money so I can go and do this and take time off work and, and stuff like that. So, 
Which then, when you make a Pan Am Games, must be a unique experience then where I'm sure at least some of that is covered, or hopefully most of that is covered, uniforms, things like that, where all of a sudden it's a bit of a, a weight off the team's shoulders to think that that's not a huge aspect of what you have to focus on going into a major tournament. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah. Like, it was definitely, like, the, the coolest experience of my life was going to the 2019 Pan Am Games, and that's why, you know, in this upcoming cycle of trying to make the 2023 Pan Am games. Like I'm, as soon as I found out that it was possible that we were going to put our team back together and, and kind of like continue training and everything, I was like on board hundred percent because it was just so cool. But yeah, you don't think about like the fact that we as Canadians, even though we're going, we have to pay to stay in the athletes village. We actually have to, there's, you know, Hudson's Bay at the time was our sponsor for clothes um, for all the Canadians get all the same kit. Um, but you don't think about the fact that actually we have to pay for those clothes, even though it's like mandatory that we have them and wear them all the time. So you still have to so pay for them. There's just so you many still, things. Yeah. So you still have to, wow. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. Yeah. Was that was that, is that just a Pan Am thing or do they just hate handball? Uh, are they just like no? Everyone else gets it for free. <laughs> handball, no, you have to pay for it. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a handball thing, and and some of the smaller sports do have to pay. Um, wow. I'm not sure particularly which ones, but I know that there was like a sponsor or a the like funding model was based on like your ability or your chances of winning an Olympic medal. So for us as being behind, we got zero funding. And then, you know, some of the other sports, like maybe gymnastics or um, hockey, you know, basketball, maybe things like that, they would have more funding, but it's, you know, a sliding scale. I have heard that they're remodeling the funding. So I'm not sure, you know, if this time around we might get anything, but I'm just banking on nothing. So just having to do it ourselves. But yeah. That's absolutely insane. What what if like what if you legitimately cannot afford? Like, do you just have to show up to the Pan Am games wearing some clothes you bought at Walmart? Like, I mean that that's insane to think you still gotta pay for that. Wow. Yeah, I know. Well, and I, like you that's part of the experience, right? Like every all the Canadians are wearing all the same stuff the whole time. Yeah. Like the only thing that you have that's different is your uniform. Like you come your team comes with your own uniforms, um, which obviously makes sense. But yeah, like, you know, nobody, you, nobody ever thinks about that because, you know, you get, you get there. And even for like the Olympics, it's, I'm sure the Olympics, probably everything is covered because again, everyone's at that. I think elite, the Olympics, you get given level. a phone haven. You get given like all these, like you get given basically a small yeah. country from making the Olympics. <laughs> you get pan ads, oh, just pay for your shirt. There you go. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's not every sport, like all the, the sports that are, higher flyers i guess in canada would have that paid for so so basically yeah. if, if we've got some like multi-millionaire listening to this show who just loves handball in canada we we want them to come on board to to sort of oh, you know yeah. g- give a boost right <laughs> now uh, is it is it a case of i mean with that fundraising model do do you have a, your own personal page is it sort of people can contact handball canada like if people listening to this want to help out how can they help out Oh yeah, totally. So, I mean, like you could contact myself, you could contact any of my, um, teammates or, you know, handle Canada directly. Um, we have like a Facebook page for our, uh, senior women's national team. Um, so on there, like we were posting for, you know, sponsorships and stuff. All the players get sent like a sponsorship package to try to find sponsorship deals. Um, but yeah, like, of course we would accept any help that we could get. Um, but yeah, other than that, like we're kind of on our own. So, yeah. Well, I want to talk about some positive things here with the Pan Am. You mentioned that experience, obviously, being 
an amazing experience for you and everything. I mean, often we talk to our Olympian guests on this show about that experience of village life, pin trading, opening, closing ceremonies, all that fun stuff. I mean, were you soaking all of that up? Because this was in Peru, right? Like, that's a pretty unique country to be able to go to. I'm sure you didn't ever think you'd uh, start playing handball and it would take you to Peru when you first started playing. No, I definitely never thought that. Yeah, it was definitely surreal, like, um, actually we didn't, we didn't qualify the traditional route. We played against the United States in 2018 and it's, you play a two game series. So one of the games you play in the States, one of the games you play in Canada. And then it's like, you know, kind of there's weird rules. Like instead of playing three games, it's like goal differential kind of thing, um, or goals for or something. But anyways, um, we lost in that qualifier. So then we had to make the decision if we wanted to spend more money to go to the second chance tournament. So everybody that has a qualifier for the Pan Am games um, gets so many spots. And then if they're, you know, the, the next one down, they can opt into the second chance tournament where everybody else plays. And then there's one more spot to the Pan Am games. Um, and in the Pan Am games, I think there's only eight teams. So yeah, there's only eight teams. So um, we went to that second chance tournament really like thinking, um, can we actually do this? And uh, we, our, our main com- uh, competitor was Chile and we knew that they were quite strong. Um, so we went in and we actually ended up winning that tournament, even though I think a lot of us probably went in thinking that it wasn't possible. We put in the training and we actually like did a lot of mental training, which I think is was the main component there. Um, so that was really like the highlight of feeling like we had accomplished our goal And then once we actually got to Pan Am Games, again, we were still focused on a new goal, which was um, to beat Puerto Rico and to try to get into like a medal game. So like the the bronze medal game. Um, But I found like we were really able to like sit back and enjoy what we were doing while we were still competing because our goal was to make it there. And seventh place ultimately is where you finish and I believe you beat Peru in that seventh place. So what's that crowd like? <laughs> Home crowd playing for seventh place. And this is the thing too. I always love finding out from athletes in these sports where you have classification games because on paper they kind of sound pointless. Why do you need to play for seventh place? But for you and your team, I can imagine that's a huge deal. So you don't want to finish last, but also you still want to have that opportunity to put it all out there on the court. You're against a, you know, loud, rapturous home crowd and kind of leave a tournament on, on a bit of a high. So what was that whole experience like walking away, winning that last game and ending in seventh? Yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, I think as much as we were proud to be there and proud to, you know, get the seventh place. um, I think we were at that point a little bit disappointed because um, in the, I think it was our crossover game to the other pool. We played Dominican, um, and we were up at halftime by like a decent amount of goals. Like, I think it must've been like seven goals or something. And then in the second, like, you know, we, we were playing really well. We had the lead. We all thought, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to get into the fifth, sixth game. Um, and we ended up just blowing the lead and just not falling apart in the second half. And we ended up losing that game. So we knew we could beat Peru because actually Peru was in a very similar boat to us where they actually found out they were hosting and then made a team. They didn't actually have a national team before that. So they were all relatively new players. Um, But we had played them in a friendly game at the start of the Pan Ams, like when we had got there to train. Um, We were there a few days before and we arranged just an exhibition game against them. And we knew we were at a higher level. So we knew going into that 100% we should win this game. 
we know that we're better. Um, but it was a little bit disappointing first having our goal be to beat Puerto Rico in the first game. And just that did not go how we wanted it to. And then we, you know, knew, okay, we're better than this. Like let's get into fifth, six. And then, you know, having that, um, that game against Dominican not go our way. Um, and again, that's totally like on us. We, something wasn't clicking that game, but, um, it was still like, of course I would want to still play that game. And like, I've never played on a court. Like that's that fun. Like, it's just the only lines on the floor handball. You never get that in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, you got the lights and everything. The crowd of course was still crazy because it was in Peru. So even though probably a lot of people didn't even know what it was, the sport or, you know, had heard of it, but never seen it very much, um, was really cool. So, yeah. I sadly never went to Sydney. I was 13, but um, I do remember <laughs> some of the, you know, coverage in Australia and, and I guess most of the countries for Olympics was not like it is today, you know, even 20 or so years ago where you have dedicated online channels. You, If I want to watch handball in Tokyo, I can watch the handball channel. It's that simple and I did. It was great. Whereas, you know, Sydney, I'd have to wait till 2 o'clock in the morning. They might show a bit of handball. But I do remember them showing handball and Australia playing because again similar to Canada and Montreal the only time we've ever been in the Olympics was in Sydney and the crowds that they got like you know for a sport in Australia which I'd argue is known less about than it probably is in Canada and it was still great to just see that local you know crowd which is a thing I can imagine as you're saying in Peru where they don't even have a national team yet they're going to support them no matter what which I mean it's epic. I don't know if you maybe went to Toronto in 2015 as a, as a spectator or anything to check that out or kind of heard stories from how that would have been experienced with that. Because, again, going back to our point of you host the games, you get to see these sports. A country like Canada gets behind their teams no matter what sport it is, right? So it's always going to increase that popularity and put some eyes on the sport. Yeah, I actually um, – a lot of my friends may, were on that team in 2015. Um, so I didn't actually get to go because, again – like, I don't know, I think people within their countries think like, you know, especially in Europe, it's like, okay, you can just drive across the country and it's like, not that bad. Like make we make a weekend trip. Like I can't just go to Toronto from where I am because it's literally across the country. So, I mean, I didn't end up going. I had a few friends that did end up going. um, And they said it was like, it was just very cool to see that whole experience and um, to watch, you know, our Canadians play that kind of caliber of handball. One thing that was disappointing, though, was even though you would think that, like, you know, Canada's playing, we're going to have Canadian fans, Canadians are going to support Canadians no matter what, which I do think is true. um, There was actually, like, even though it was hosted in Canada, like, no coverage of handball. Like, we couldn't even watch. I couldn't even watch my friends. Like, there was not even a live stream from where we were. So CBC was covering um, most of the other sports. I don't know if there was anything else that was not um, broadcasted, but yeah, like there wasn't even a live stream where I could watch the games or anything, which is, it's upsetting considering it's happening in your home country. Um, yeah. I would understand, you know, if Peru's not live streaming to, to Canada for them to watch, but which they, it wasn't, but um, yeah, like I think th- there's definitely work to be done in this, in this aspect. Which on that though, going back to what I was saying about Tokyo, like I, designated myself to watch handball um, because again I love the sport and I never see it outside of a summer Olympics so do you were you doing the same in Tokyo <laughs> like I mean I, I'm sure CBC had a similar situation where you could just go all right handball channel glue to it all the time because again you, you know CBC channel 7 here in Australia we're not showing handball unless it's a gold medal match and oh you know this country won it let's move on to more swimming replays in Australia 
Yeah, like from here, we can watch like other, we can just, we can watch high level handball. You know, I can tune in and watch Champions League handball on the weekend if I want to, um, as long as I can get that on my computer. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing at like Tokyo, we could see all the games and everything uh, because they were posted online. But I think Canadian, like when it was in Canada, the Pan Am games, they were not um, broadcasting it because again, nobody knows what it is, but somebody else, you know, that's at that games, like in Tokyo, it is still bigger in Asia than it is here. Um, you know, they were still broadcasting that. So then I could go on and watch that. And I can usually go on and watch like anything that's pretty high level. There's usually live streams or, um, yeah. As long as like, I can get that on my computer, like the access to the website, then usually it's good. Which another thing too, which I don't know if many people are aware of, I discovered this recently when I was uh, late at night. I'm going, ah, yeah, maybe I need a new PlayStation game. So I'm scrolling through the PlayStation store and what do I discover? <laughs> Handball video games exist. Haven, I didn't know this was a thing until recently. Uh, I don't know if you're much of a gamer, but, uh, you know, have you tried your hand at a handball video game? Are these as addicting as they sound? Because I-, I need to get one, I think. Uh, I'm not a video gamer, but I know that this happened because a lot of my friends play and I think it was maybe a year or two into actually playing like, you know, on the provincial team and stuff. And one of our friends like sent in our group chat was like, have you guys seen this? Like there's a handball game. And to us, it's like a lot of people play like FIFA or like Mm -hmm. NBA. Um, So to us, it was like the same thing, but we were like, what, what is that? And I mean, again, I'm not a gamer whatsoever, so I don't know. Um, but one of my friends or I can't remember if it's my friend or my sister got it. And it was like, not obviously to the level of FIFA, but it was just really cool to see like, okay, people actually know what this is. And they actually like, they must care about it enough to make a video game. So yeah. I'm going to check it out. It it's, it's a similar thing in Australia, like say with Australian football or rugby, that, uh, cricket, that yeah. video games exist and they're generally made by local companies. So people have that vision of, oh, it's going to be FIFA. It's going to be NBA 2K. It's going to have that level of, you know, detail and realism. And it's like, well, they don't have the money of an EA Sports to do it, but they do a pretty good job at recreating it. So I can imagine, yeah, similar thing with with handball because, the, again, I, I keep telling you, saying, this is a sport that people need to, to get on board because it is so exciting to watch. I, I've got to ask with the Pan Ams, though, was there a slight bit of smile on your face leaving Peru that the USA missed out on a medal by, like, one goal? Like, uh, big traditional rivals, USA, fourth place, one, one goal. Like, I mean, y- you know, is that a bit of a, okay, yep, at least they didn't get a medal. Um, yes, <laughs> we were, the, the tough part with the States is like, we knew from the first cycle and this was really like my first time on the senior national team was the last cycle. And it was, you know, because my coach had made it a program, it was like legitimate. Okay. You're actually trying out for this team. You need to be doing all the workouts. You need to be submitting your things. Um, you need to make sure that you're, you know, on track with everything. So it was nerve wracking and like a process, not like my first national team experience where it was like, okay, who, you know, who do you want to go to Puerto Rico and like meet all these people and just play together? Um, It was, it was more grueling and it is again now like that, which is I think how it should be. Um, So in that process, you know, we were constantly watching, okay, what is the state doing? Cause we knew we had to beat them to get there. And that was the goal. So, you know, we were watching them go to Korea and play in a tournament in Korea. And we're like, oh, shoot. But I don't know how, because I know they don't get like as much funding, if any. 
but they somehow get so many more sponsors and all this stuff. Like I know that they had a lot more funding than we did to be able to go on all these trips. And they did, you know, that tour in Korea, they did, um, they were in Europe for like two or three weeks, multiple times. Um, yeah. And we had gone down actually to play them. I think a year or two previous to that, just as a provincial team. And at that time, I remember playing them thinking, okay, like they're good, but they're not like revolutionary. They, they usually like take their, their players out of like, um, NCAA division one, like, you know, players that aren't going to continue on going to professionals, like, Oh, do you want to come try handball? You, you might play on the national team, you know, and they get really good athletes that way. Um, and then again, anyone with like a dual citizenship that grew up in Europe and has been playing handball for years, oftentimes they will come over and play on their national team. So we were watching their every move that whole time. And they did have the resources to get past us for sure. Um, you know, they won the qualifier fair and square. I would have loved to have another rematch with them at Pan Ams. Um, but it obviously didn't shape up that way. And, you know, seeing them lose, I mean, I'm, I'm, glad for them that they got that progress because I really thought, you know what they're hosting in 2028. This is where they need to be because they need to be making that progress for by the time they get there so that they're not just, you know, coming for, for the sake of showing up because they get a spot. Um, but I actually think I'm not sure how it's actually shaped up for them because a lot of those players were on the brink of retirement. And I know that there's not a ton of them that are coming back to that team now. So I actually have no idea what the state is going to look like. I'm really excited to play them in this next qualifier because again, like we're out for blood. We want to make it there. We don't want to have to go to that second chance tournament again. Um, it would just be nice to just beat them two games and then just call it a day. So always yeah. nice to beat America Haven. Come on. doesn't yeah. matter what sport <laughs> it is as long as that, which I mean, in a weird way though, can there be that positive flow on effect if they do okay, given they're your neighbors and that maybe if there's a bit of exposure on the sport in your part of the world, that maybe it might seep up a little bit North of the border. Yeah, totally. I think so. And I mean, I mean like we've gone down, pardon me, we've gone down to uh, play in their like USA nationals tournament and like it's been good competition and there's a lot of players that, you know, you come across every once in a while, or, you know, they, they'll have players that go play in Europe and some of our players might play with them even there. Um, I think like it will benefit the sport overall, especially in, in North America. So it's not that I want to see them lose out. Like I do want to see their program build, but I also want to see our program build and beat them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's yeah. the main goal. Haven, I've had so much fun learning about not only your career, but the sport. I mean, I, I could sit here and talk about handball forever because, again, I, I do love this sport. It's it's such a fun sport, which I, I really think more people uh, outside of these handball countries need need to learn a, a, and love. I mean, you obviously mentioned before about where people, if they want to help out the sport, yourself, everything in Canada where they can get involved. If people want to follow you and, and kind of your journey in general as well, uh, social media or anything out there that people can sort of stay up to date with Haven Wong and a handball career. Yeah, I have, I mean, it's kind of weird because I'm like, I'm pretty private on things because I'm a teacher, but yeah, I have like all the normal social media. If you wanted to follow our team, the best way is the the Facebook page that we have kind of, it just, we post every time all the things that we're doing with our journey. Um, anytime we have training camps or tournaments or things like that. So that would be the best way. Um, but then, yeah, I have, of course, my personal social media. So if you don't look creepy, maybe I'll let you follow me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how we got on the show. You're, you're the first person to ever say that I don't look creepy. Thanks, Haven. That's the nicest thing that's oh, ever welcome. been said on this show. The show. Um, 
Honestly, such a fun time to have you on the show today. Best of luck, obviously, moving forward with, with the qualification for the Pan Ams and then moving forward. And I'm calling it now, all right? Maybe 2028. Yeah, that would be great. But if it's not 2028, Brisbane, 2032. Maybe I need to speak to some people here in the AOC to have two designated hosting slots and we can sort of maybe, you know, go like, well, Canada... They're kind of like Australia when it comes to handball. Needs a bit more exposure. Commonwealth friends, we'll give them a designated slot too. How about I, I, I work some magic so we can get a, a Canada slot for 2032? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I think I could probably stick around for that long. I might yeah. be a little old, but yeah. Trip to Australia. You're not going to say no to that, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that'll work. Haven, appreciate your time on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's, it was really fun. And a massive, massive thanks to Haven for her time. Such a an insight into the sport and where it is at in Canada. I always love speaking to athletes from these sports in countries where it's maybe not a big deal. If I'd have had a, a French handball player on, a German handball player on, it's obviously going to be a much different conversation versus a handball player from Canada or even Australia. So I uh, love hearing that. And obviously it's a, it's a big journey for a country like Canada to make it back to the Olympic Games in handball. It's, it's so fascinating to learn about where it is at in the country and just how something as a Pan Am Games, qualify for Pan Am Games is a very, very big deal for Canada involved in that. So obviously at the time of recording that, uh, Haven, as she mentioned, was in the process of getting ready for the qualification for the 2023 Pan Am Games. Obviously, by the time you're listening to this, we will know the results of that. So uh, we hope that it's been a positive there for Haven and Team Canada to make it back to the Pan Am Games. So uh, fingers crossed, at least at the time of recording this, that has happened. And uh, such a, a fantastic chat for Haven to uh, bring there and to learn about the sport. It really is a fun sport. It is so entertaining to watch and it is something that, as I said, I talk up during each Olympics. I'll talk it up in Paris next year and just uh, an amazing sport to watch. And we hope to bring you more handball athletes on this show because uh, it is a sport that I really would like to uh, get some more athletes on from and, and learn a little bit more about. Maybe get some Australian handball players on. Of course, uh, less than 10 years out now from a home Olympics, we know Australia will be back at the Olympics in handball in 2032. So uh, see where the sport is at in Australia for that situation but uh, in the meantime we've learned a little bit more from haven today about the canadian situation so a big thanks to haven for her time on the show today and we obviously hope that uh, people listening to this today have learnt a lot about sport and want to know more get involved if you're in canada get involved outside of alberta and quebec too i love those two provinces but uh, the rest of the country let's let's go let's get some handball into you let's uh, let's get pumped and excited uh we've got some great chats coming your way though in some coming episodes as well as we always do we're returning to the sport of canoeing we love canoeing and in canoeing we've got a gold medal winning canoeist coming on the show a two-time gold medal winning canoeist coming on the show from a country that we have never had anyone on from before so get pumped for that one we also have coming soon 
a basketballer on the show, returning to the sport of basketball. It was a sport that uh, about a year or so ago we hadn't even had anyone on, and now we're, we're, we're kicking them out, basically. Too many basketball players, go away. We'd never do that. Uh, we're returning to the sport of basketball coming soon, and uh, Jared, Colin, and myself will be back together very shortly as well to bring you another great episode on that aspect. And as always, I'm teasing that a little bit later this year, in a couple of months' time, we will be bringing you our Looking Ahead to Paris 2024 episode as we get closer and closer to those Olympics. Generally, a year or so out from each Olympics, we like to come together and do a bit of a chat to see where we're at, talk about the Olympics, get pumped, get excited. And uh, that will be coming your way, of course, uh, a little bit later this year. And speaking of the Pan Am Games, this is something that, uh, at least at the time of recording this, we've only just briefly touched on maybe doing something for it. Of course, on this show, we've uh, covered Commonwealth Games. We, of course, did the World Cup last year and we possibly want to do something on the Pan Am Games. It's it's something that maybe outside of Canada is a little bit tricky for Jared and myself to kind of watch. Not obviously a lot of coverage in Australia of the Pan Am Games, but uh, we've had a bit of a discussion about it. And if there's a way that Jared and I can maybe watch some or pay a bit of attention to it later this year, then uh, we're very open to doing a, an episode or two on the 2023 Pan Am Games. They are being held in Santiago, Chile in October of this year through to November. And it is something that obviously we always get excited for, a multi-sport event. So uh, possibly, possibly, at least at the time of recording this, initial discussions that we may do some Pan Am coverage later this year. That will all be on Colin, though. We can always put the hosting and the stats and everything on Mr. Hilding. He can do some work for once. That's what I'm basically trying to say here and off the podium. So uh, stay tuned for that. And if you'd like to see us cover the Pan Am Games, then give us a shout out and uh, we can definitely make that happen. In the meantime, if you like this episode and want to see the video version with Haven, you can hit us up on our YouTube channel, search for Off The Podium while you're there. Subscribe so you never miss an episode coming directly to your screens and subscribe to the podcast and all good podcast channels as well. Search for Off The Podium, that simple. Hit subscribe, leave us some ratings, some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show and social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Search for Off The Podium and you will find us on there. And that is where we update you on who we've got coming up on the show, uh, everything else in between. Of course, great episodes, plenty of great episodes coming your way in the coming weeks. They're keeping us nice and busy. And, of course, you nice and entertained out there as well. That's the main thing. Remember to send us a message. Let us know what you're thinking of the show. Got any guest ideas, episode ideas? We always love to hear from you on those levels as well. Plenty to keep you occupied here in your favourite award-winning Olympics podcast. Just always need to have those subtle plugs out there for that. Big thanks again to Haven for her time. As always, a shout-out goes to the Birmingham Bull. My name is Ben. This has been Off the Podium. Remember to go left and fizzle-dizzle. Dizzle.